Well, hello and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the topics of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini. I'm one of the founders of Forefront, and I'm joined today by Forefront Managing Editor Sean O'Hare. Hey, guys. And joining us today is a very special guest, Jake Medor. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're here at Jubilee, uh, the, the CCO conference. It's been a really exciting time, and Jake was here, and so uh, we connected with him. We're excited to have this conversation. Um, Sean, you want to tell us a bit why we're, we're happy to have Jake here? Yeah, so I've been um, interacting with Jake's work for a while now, uh, particularly over at Mirror Orthodoxy, where he's the editor. So, um, And he's also written for um, First Things, um, National Review, Christianity Today, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's involved in a variety of other other projects that some of which are actually like participating here in the Jubilee Conference, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, and then most recently, he just published. In, uh, he just wrote "In Search of the Common Good: Christian Fidelity in a Fractured World." Um, and the talk that I just came from when we were we were connecting was about that book. So, yeah, nice. So this, com- this conversation. So, Jake, tell us a bit about why you're here at Jubilee and what that experience has been like for you. So the honest answer to those questions are always like somebody called me and they asked me to come out and offered to give me money to come out. And I'm like, okay, sure, I can do that. <laughs> I got <paid>. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It's the... Um, there's this great clip where I don't remember who it is, but they're interviewing Harrison Ford after the yes. Star Wars Force Awakens comes That's out. That's what I was referencing. It, yeah, yeah. Star Wars <laughs> is popular here in the okay. forefront crew. Okay, wonderful. It's like, <laughs> no, I didn't get this. <laughs> I got paid. <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Yep. That's the very practical reason, but um, the reason I'm really excited to be here is to just get a chance to connect with a lot of Christians. Like we don't have CCO out in Nebraska, um, so I didn't know much about the ministry till I was out here. So it's been really encouraging just to be around a lot of people that are actually thinking about a lot of the same questions that I am, and yeah. getting to just meet a lot of new people in one place in one weekend. So it's intense, but a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's still got another day left so i'm excited for the rest of the time do you think that your book was kind of a jumping off point for them wanting you to come and talk about that mm-hmm. or yeah, yeah, yeah yeah one of the organizers read the book and emailed me and asked me about coming out so nice yeah cool based off of the stuff that you know you were ta- you're addressing mm-hmm. in the book um one of the striking things that you kind of frame the beginning of the book with is um kind of like a survey of the landscape Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with right now particularly socially um and like existentially i guess Mm -hmm. in terms of the the ways that we're coping with some of the problems in our world on an individual level on a communal level Mm -hmm. and you kind of sketch out i mean i I won't force you to recite the the stats or whatever but you sketch out this crisis that we have um you talk particularly about this idea of deaths of despair is a pretty Mm -hmm. uh sobering one to kind of enter into and um, obviously, you know, we here at Forefront are interested in creating art that is beautiful and, and kind of speaks to a lot of these things here. So I think it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on um, how does an artist play a role in a response to that sort of crisis that we're talking about or the arts community in general, Yeah, particularly okay. coming from a Christian perspective, you know. So we actually just published maybe two weeks ago, a piece at Miro on artists in church by a guy named Micah Harris that I really appreciated. And one of the things that he talked about in that piece was, so for the longest time, their church had 
they have a bulletin that they give out every week, like lots of churches, and they had different art they would feature on the front cover from basically any like great artist in history. Mm-hmm. And then they realized one day we have this really good painter in our church and we've never tried to include her mm. in the art that we have in our bulletin. So they asked her if she would do a series of paintings to go with a sermon mm. series that would then be featured on the front of the bulletin. So instead of getting some like 18th century painting of this biblical scene, they had something from this congregational member. And that was a really, it was a really significant relational thing. I think for them, for this woman who had been there for years to really feel seen mm-hmm. and valued for what she does and what she loves to do. And that that was a way of blessing her fellow church members. Sure. Um, it was also a really cool chance for the church to say, you know, we're still Christians are still creating beautiful things that tell us things that are true about the world and about God and about ourselves. And here's a chance that we have as a church to participate in that with this mm. artist that worships with us. Yeah. Um, so I think those kind of things are a very practical thing. I think another thing that is helpful is sometimes the the image, the story, the really arresting line in a poem can kind of bring home for people some truth in a way. I mean, this is just why we make art, but to have people mm. that can do that to really bring home the the pain of something or the problem is a really powerful opportunity. And I think the church neglects the people that are good at doing that to their own detriment and to the detriment of artists. Um, I think particularly in this moment where it's very easy to feel isolated, um, good art that helps us connect our story to God's is really valuable. And also simply creating places for artists to feel like they're valued is really important. Mm. I mean, actually a, a point, an observation to make is that it's actually kind of impressive that the church that asked her to do that was already featuring mm. works of art in their bulletin. Mm. Like that's a good step. Yes. <laughs> but like, that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of a rare thing, particularly mm. like an awareness of like mm-hmm. a historical Seven yeah, painters. Or yeah, something like that. our church does it with historic works of art that's as well. Awesome. So that's something I've appreciated. Yeah, it's just the way they bring that into the mm-hmm. congregational life. Sure. Is there any thoughts that you have in terms of even moving like beyond the the time that we're spending together in the church? Um, ways in which the art that that artists who are of faith are creating art and that that reverberates out into the the broader world, you know, mm-hmm. and speaks of things like the opioid epidemic or mm. um, a lot of suicide and anxiety and depression that, you know, we're just coming to terms with even being able to articulate that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With those particular crises, I don't know. I, I do know one of the more haunting songs that interacts with a lot of social and political questions is um, Girl in the War by Josh Ritter. I don't know if either of you guys are Josh Ritter fans. He's a singer-songwriter. He's originally from Moscow, Idaho. He's now based in Brooklyn. Um, I know this song, Homecoming, but yeah. Okay, I don't know that one. But um, he has this song called Girl in the War that was written during the Iraq War Mm. and just captured. There's this line. So Ritter 
and he's less this way than he used to be, sadly, but he had this very, I don't believe in God, but I miss him kind of sensibility in a lot of his work. And it's gotten much more kind of just indifferent in recent years, at least the Mm. stuff I've heard. But Grill in the War, there was this line, um, the keys to the kingdom got locked inside the kingdom and the angels fly around in there, but we can't see them. And so Mm. it just captured this kind of experience of, I mean, particular to the war of this thing that I love is outside of my control, far beyond my reach, and I don't know if I'll ever have it back, which I think anybody that had family in the war could relate to. But also I think spoke to a very common kind of sense of loss that a lot of people have. Um, Mm. There's that line, I think it's in Garden State, um, home is the place there. I'm going to butcher it now because it's been so many years since I've seen the movie, but it was something like home is this place that we've never had, but we all miss together or something like that. Just a very arresting way of framing a, I think widely experienced lack. The Mm. longing that Mm -hmm. we all have. Yeah. And yeah, I think Ritter has written about that in really striking ways. There's another song he has called the last temptation of Adam. So it's this very, so it's, um, nuclear apocalypse happens and this guy and this girl both uh, like flee to this missile silo for shelter to survive. And they're just forced together initially. And then they fall in love and they have this life together. Mm. And he has this line about they, they put pins in this map inside this nuclear missile silo of all the places they've loved or where they thought love could Mm. be found is the exact line. And the dilemma the song ends on is the singer who's the man in this story um, says there's only one one pin I would put in the map. And he has this struggle like, if it turns out that the world outside is okay, would I want that world if it meant that I lose her? And so mm. he has this debate about do I push the, the missile button or not? And to preserve my relationship with this woman I love. So Ritter is somebody that I've always come back to as just having a very, he's very interested in love and the ways that we try to make and sustain it across types of boundaries, whether it's political or time, even in some of his works. So he's somebody that I come back to a lot. Um, Christian songwriters, um, I just, I don't listen to as much music as I used to, sadly. So I am not as up to speed on as many Christian musicians today. Um, I've been very grateful for a lot of the folks in Nashville. Um, mm. Katie Hudson is one, um, Sandra McCracken's a common one, but I admire her work. Andrew Peterson has yeah. been a favorite of mine for a long time, but I'm not as up to speed as I'd like to sure. be just cause I have a small family and limited time to listen to things just do a lot of songs right <laughs> we've been listening uh, speaking of andrew peterson lots of slugs and bugs lately <laughs> in our house it's a kid's record that he okay. and randall good game made together and yeah our kids are fans hmm. <laughs> well That's actually that it gets to a another thing that you talk about in your book and in terms of the formation of of younger people within our mm-hmm. families, within our churches. And that's actually a really interesting 
um, thing to think about in terms of like if the church is going to regain a better way of talking about truth and beauty and goodness to the world, mm-hmm. uh, that has to be there has to be continuity there has to be a way that we can sustain that over the next 50 to 100 years and i would think an amazing way of being able to do that is to teach our young people to um the truths of scripture through Mm -hmm. beautiful art and through awesome songs and movies and things like that our associate pastor at my church does a lot of acting on the side in local theater And so he was, we have this awesome little local, it's called Flatwater Shakespeare in Lincoln. So there's a Shakespeare prof at the university who kind of helps guide a lot of the stuff they do. But Keith, our associate pastor, played Duncan in Mm. Macbeth this past season. Oh, man. It was so much fun. (laughs) Um, And so I wanted to go, and we have little ones. Our oldest is seven. Perfect age for Shakespeare. Right. And so my wife for and I were like, is, quiz is she afterwards. old enough? <laughs> and I, I talked to Keith at church about it. I was like, so if I took Davy, our seven-year-old, would it be too much for her? And Keith was like, no, you should bring her. It'd be great. <laughs> so her first Shakespeare play that she saw live was Macbeth, and she loved it. That's awesome. Um, and... Um, now Wendell, our four-year-old, is asking about when he can go see Macbeth. <laughs> you were doing something like, right, Jake. Right. Well, it's kind of like your buddy. four-year-old is asking if he can go see Shakespeare. We were just talking last night about how like kids these days like don't understand Shakespeare. Oh, that's <laughs> it's like, educators in, in our yeah, yeah. Okay. Imagine if four-year-olds were like, "When do I get to go see Macbeth?" You were on my side, Jake. Oh, You're okay. on my side here. This I was saying good. you need to this get them started good. young so that they yeah. oh, yeah. like, desire those things. Well, so. it was really so. I never saw it as a kid, and my first exposure to it was reading the plays in middle school in English class and yeah I I missed a lot of it because the language was so foreign to me and just reading it is like that's not the original way you were supposed to experience it was it was interesting seeing how Davy responded to it because her first experience is now seeing it and she tracked with a lot of the story there was parts she didn't get but I was able to explain those and a lot of it just from following the actors mm. and seeing what they were doing. She understood mm-hmm. a lot of it. And so I think, I hope whenever she does start reading those kind of those plays that if she's able to see more of them, sure. she'll have an easier time picking it up. But yeah, it was, That's awesome. I, I'm glad that Keith told us to go. I was <laughs> nervous about it, but sure. he was all about it. And we went and it was outdoor theater and it's, there were probably about 50 people in the audience, very sparse stage right in the middle. So you're super close to the actors, which was also fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably how some of the emotion or the mm-hmm. other aspects of the play mm-hmm. were translated yeah, yeah, yeah. to her. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point. I think when, when we're dealing with like rich substantive art, we can interact it with, we can come to it in ways that um, are appropriate for our, like background and like what we understand and stuff like that. It's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And it's, I think also fun for her. Like this is the pastor who's baptized her two younger brothers yeah. mm. who helps out with VBS every summer. And he'll actually dress in character for different stories he does at VBS every year. So he brings some of that into sure. church, but now she's also been able to see him in local theater. So like, I don't, I'd be very surprised if there were other evangelical Protestants 
in it, just knowing Lincoln and knowing the scene there. Okay. But like getting to be out in the community, making something and being part of something yeah. that the whole city can enjoy and benefit from. So, so yeah, cool. it, it was fun and not really something we planned. But when we heard Keith was, I, I'd been to a lot of their other productions. And then when we heard Keith was in it, I was like, okay, this, we should, we should try to go. Yeah. Well, okay, so I think uh, maybe a good um, sort of closing question here might be that one of the things that you were talking about in your in your um, talk recently, and I think a, a key idea at the end of your book is, and this I asked you this question a little bit before, but <laughs> yes. so basically this idea of um, the kingdom of God and the restoration of the earth being something that's here. Mm -hmm. That's like the, like the, the continuity of God's mm -hmm. creation. Mm -hmm. And, um, how can we think about the art that we're making, the beautiful things that we are like setting in motion or planting? Um, how does an understanding of their eternal continuity and perhaps even expansion, mm -hmm. um, how does that affect the sorts of beautiful things that we're crafting in the world right now? Yeah, so something that was striking to me, I remember, because I grew up in this very kind of end times focused church mm. that like the rapture is coming and we'll go to another world. And then after the tribulation, God will destroy the world and make a new one. And it was just kind of a, a sad way of looking it's at creation yeah. in my view. Um, yeah. And I remember reading the end of Revelation one day and just reading me and like, well, wait a minute. The kings of the world are leading the nations into the new Jerusalem with their glory. Like that's just all right there in the text. So well, Shakespeare under their arm. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. that was just interesting. It's like, well, what's going on? So it, I think like there's a sense in which we, we bring the, the good things that we create and we throw them at God's feet in worship. Um, so the point isn't, to make like an idol out of any of it, but to actually see these things like creating beautiful things that say true things about God and his creation is a way of worshiping him and is something that we present to him and worship at the end of all yeah. things. Yeah. Um, there's the scene at the film version recently of Les Mis where the, the beatific vision at the end. Now the part I don't like is that it ends at the barricade. Yeah. Like, well, no, that's not the point. <laughs> There's but, a little more after that. Right, right. Revolution. But, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The Pelagianism the of, of all things. <laughs> yeah. The Pelagianism of the revolutionaries gets the final say, but mm -hmm. no, that's not good. But um, no, like they, the beatific vision is in a city and mm. yeah. it's God's people united together in song in a recognizable place that is still in some way like restored beyond anything they've ever seen before. Sure. So it's not that like heaven is the here and now, like that's not it at all. Yeah. But that like we do in some sense, bring the good things that we make into the world to come and present those things to God um, in yeah. worship of him. So yeah, I, that's kind of where I land on. Yeah. Book and it's really chapter. encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, that maybe creativity lasts in some sense and that mm -hmm. even the creative work that we do is going to be renewed, mm -hmm. restored, made new, along right. with mm -hmm. every other effort Yeah, for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. It is, it's encouraging and motivating to think that way. Mm-hmm. That, as they say here at Jubilee, everything matters <laughs> <laughs> right. in our creative yes. work. Mm-hmm. Well, one question I'd, I'd like to ask that we always ask at the end of uh, a lot of our interview podcasts is just if you have a challenge or an encouragement for mm-hmm. Christians in the arts as they're dealing with all of these ideas in their work. Mm-hmm. I guess I would just say to be encouraged that they live in a world that God calls good in Genesis and the calling to create things that help us to see creation as God's made it. And also, I mean, some of the most powerful encounter, like I've had an understanding of sin actually is also from plays and art. Mm. Um, the, the chance to be able to help people see reality, um, is a very noble thing and it's a hard calling. Um, doesn't pay well, but, um, it's a very important work. And so the, the call to be a student of the world and of human beings and of truth is a worthwhile calling. Um, and that's, that's good work that's worth doing and to be encouraged in pursuing that and trying to do what they can to tell people true things. So yeah. It's hard, but it's good. Praise God. <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Jake, for being with us today. This is really fun. Thanks. It's fun to be here. So I enjoyed it. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the conference. Thank you. Yeah, I hope you do as well. Thank you. I'm excited about it. All right. Well, until then, folks, thanks for listening. Keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art. We'll see you next time.